This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Can 2016 just get out of here, really? My goodness. Thanks for listening, folks. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. We had a fun show prepared for you today to talk about something totally different from politics, totally different from some of the things going on in terms of the flood, and just mindless humor, just laughing about something. And I'll tell you what, next week we won't get into that because we did end up having a discussion today about something serious that that has taken place. And, you, you know, last week we had former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Inglade on talking about a fundraiser that took place here in the city for the families of these law enforcement officers. And I spoke with you about having sat with Sandra Sterling, the aunt of Alton Sterling. And here we are this week thrust yet again into this discussion because of two separate police shootings. One took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. The other took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And our guest on the show this week happened to be the former police chief here in Baton Rouge, a different one, Jeff LaDuff and his son Kelly LaDuff, who are proprietors of a company called Open Eyes. It's a security firm here, and they work not just in Louisiana, but in other places as well. And they'll give you a chance to hear what they do if you hadn't heard it before coming up in the, at the beginning of the interview. The shooting in Tulsa, well, we learned about this within the last 24 hours as I sit to record this interview, but it took place last week. Tulsa police officer Betty Shelby fatally shot a 40-year-old unarmed black man by the name of Torrance Crutcher. In Charlotte, North Carolina, another black man was shot. His name is Keith Lamont Scott. And we don't know a ton about him. We, I'm hearing a bunch of details on uh, what went on. But as you will hear me say in the interview, I'm not going to offer a lot of opinions on this because I just don't think there is enough information yet for me to do that. I know a lot of people are, and you're certainly welcome to. I'm not. I'm not. I did, however, offer my opinion on the shooting in Oklahoma based upon what I saw in the video, based upon what we have heard, that one to me is different. And I reserve the right to give you my perspective on what took place in Charlotte. I'm just not going to do it right now. And so the conversation with the chief and Kelly is really about this and what we can do to close this gap that is opening wider between law enforcement communities and inner city communities. And then the racial aspect of some of this that's being played out in the, in the national media. So uh, you can be the judge of our conversation. Jeff LaDuff is obviously someone who has an understanding of how these things work because he was not only the training officer for the Baton Rouge Police Department, as you all know, he retired as the chief of that department. And so he'll give his perspective on both of these. And uh, spoiler alert, on the shooting in Charlotte, there just wasn't a lot given from his perspective as well. But we talk a lot about training in our discussion, and I think that you will enjoy what you hear. The bottom line is we just have to be able to have discussion that leads to the kind of policy that can be acceptable to both the communities and the people who serve these communities. Bottom line, my conversation with Jeff and Kelly LaDuff is next. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the Podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Brian, some people may think of your company as just in the Baton Rouge region. 
That isn't true. You've got a store in Mandeville and one in New Orleans. So anywhere from north of Baton Rouge on down, you can help people. Absolutely. You know, it dawned on me uh, one day coming out of the elevator in New Orleans, right into a client of mine that lives in Mandeville, who sees me in Mandeville, says, boy, I didn't know you had an office here. Yeah. And so it dawned on me, you know, we got to get the word out. We have yes. an office in Mandeville right there below Coretta. We got an office in uh, New Orleans on the North Causeway in the One Lakeway Tower, mm-hmm. and then we also have an office right here on Blue Bonnet. That's right, right next to Clay Young over here on Blue Bonnet <laughs> by Brew Brockers. So That's right. Give us a call. Sit down with you. Look, some of you driving back and forth. You're driving to New Orleans. You're coming back home. You can see us either way. New Orleans or in Baton Rouge. Even during your lunchtime, give us a call. Don't miss out on an opportunity. Brian's team is first class, and you've heard about his credentials. The man knows what he's doing. Look him up online at brianlowfinancial.com and see his office in Baton Rouge, Mandeville, or New Orleans. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. All right, back with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Jeff LaDuff and Kelly LaDuff. They run an, a company here called Open Eyes. They are a security company, but so much more. They don't just help you with knowing what kind of hardware you need and what kind of software you need. They also help you understand the way your mind ought to understand security. So before we get uh, kind of headlong, gentlemen, into what we're talking about, let's refresh people on what Open Eyes is. Well, you know, Clay. Open Eyes started off as a way for us to give back to the community, uh, which is a huge part of what we still do. Uh, crime hit our family strong in September of 2010 uh, when my uncle was murdered in Baton Rouge. And, uh, you know, for us, it was important to find a way to give back. And uh, me personally, I didn't want any family to ever feel what we felt. And uh, from there, things kind of took off and businesses started calling. So now we work with all types of businesses. We come in, we do environmental analysis, we assess the risk, uh, top to bottom, put it together in a proposal, we help make the changes on what needs to be changed, whether that's a new lobby or new hardware, new cameras, and then we train, which is the most important part. We train on active shooter and uh, workplace violence, aggressive behavior, we do drills and all kind of things in that area, man. And uh, we've been blessed enough now to do this together every day. I now do a full time with my dad, and uh, it's, it's the best thing I've ever been a part of, brother. You know, one of the things, guys, that I think we can agree on is years ago when you talked about an active shooter or a terrorist attack or you know, some kind of activity that's meant to take out a large number of people, it was so rare to even think about that here, but now it seems as months go by, Every other week, there's an example of something here that makes you a little bit more cautious when you leave your home or office every day. No doubt. I mean, it's a scary, it's a scary phenomenon. It's a scary change. Just think from 9-11, you know, that came out of nowhere. Uh, they had tried at the uh, World Trade Center a couple of times, but were unsuccessful. But just look at the last, you know, year, We've had five different people who are American citizens that has gone abroad and either recruited to come over or went on their own volition and received information, and they come back. And they wreaked havoc uh, this past weekend, Orlando, San Bernardino. You know, we, we could just keep going. And uh, that's domestic terrorism, and, and, and that's bombs and you know, things that's meant to, to just hurt a ton of people. But so many of the active shooters, they don't make it through. They, they're killed or they, they, you know, take their life. And we can only piece back together what their motive was. What are they angry at? Why do they want to just hurt us? And I think people really have to learn, Clay, that this is a, a new phenomenon. It's a new norm. In, 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 in our world, not just American society, but our world. And we have to be prepared. We have to have data. We have to have a plan. And when we sit down somewhere to eat a dinner, to be entertained, to uh, take our children to school, or send our children off by themselves to do something, we better arm them with the right information. And hopefully uh, they call us and we can well, I, you know, listen, I vouch for the experience that you guys have and y'all have an understanding of the world we live in and how businesses ought to think, because 
it's so different now. But let's get to this other matter. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, as we talked about five days or so ago, there was a shooting. And it's, it's something that the media now gravitates to anytime something like this happens. They run to it to report on it. Tulsa police officer Betty Shelby shot a 40-year-old, uh, what appears to be unarmed black man, Terrence Crutcher, okay? Right. Last evening in Charlotte, North Carolina, there was another shooting. Now, some of the details about this are a little bit more unclear because we have not seen a bunch of cell phone videos, or at least I have not yet. And this was... Uh, Keith Lamont Scott was uh, the person who was shot in Charlotte. So let's deal first with Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then we can talk a little bit about about Charlotte. This was a few days ago, and we've now seen the video. And Jeff, I know that you're always cautious. You don't jump to any conclusions. You don't like to outkick your coverage on information. But what's your reaction to this? Because it doesn't paint a good picture in my eyes. First word came out of my mouth when I saw the video was, damn. Uh, I mean, literally. I, you know, if, if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If there's gray area, there's gray area. Let's wait and see. And again, we have to collect data. But on the Tulsa shooting, I saw some things as a former trainer that really gave me pause. It, it really gave me pause. And, and I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, was Mr. Crutcher, did he give uh, signs that he was being uncooperative? Sure. But if you're afraid of the totality of the circumstance, you have time on your side. Okay? You have time on your side. And by that, I mean, obviously, a call had been made for backup. Let the backup arrive. If he leaves, you can follow him. Uh, what was the, if you're not going to take the man, get control of him, put him on the ground, handcuff him, and, and what was the charge? Uh, I mean, she was on the way to another call, a domestic call, got diverted because there's a car sitting in the middle of the road. It's my understanding of it. I've been there a million times. I'm on the way to A, run across B, you got to handle it because you're right there. Uh, get up, there's nobody around, and then all of a sudden, this large man appears. She looks to be small in statue. I understand that. That's called the totality of the circumstances. You have to look at size differently. You have to look at weight differential. You have to look at weather conditions, day, night. All of those things play into your ability to move up and down the force continuum. And I don't know what that force continuum is. I don't know what system they use. But you had backup on the way. Let the man walk to his car. Let the man, if he comes out with a weapon, then you have to do what you have to do. You can back up. You can watch from a distance. She had time on her side. But when she gets there, the other officer's just arriving, and not in the back of the SUV, there were some things that I saw that gave me pause. Uh, it, she looked frightened to me and unsure. So... She, she, she was in, in line with the, uh, the driver's side of that vehicle, and then she disappears behind the rear left corner of the vehicle. It's like, you know, I, I need to get back behind this cover. I didn't see anything to make me want to do that. It, it, it gives me great pause uh, that she just she looked unsure of her ability. And uh, Kelly and I talked about this. I'd love to see her training. I want to know, was she proficient with her, her doing the academy process with her, her DT, her physical conditioning now? What kind of uh, scores did she produce in her required pre-certifications? She just didn't look uh, comfortable. She looked scared, honestly. To me, it... it it's one of those things that happens that throws everything into the same bucket. The, it, it appears the man had his hands up. Uh, and I've heard right. stories about him being noncompliant. 
I don't. I, I know that there's a lot of phrases out there being used. And look, we're people who are out here helping both sides of this equation. We support law enforcement, but we also help people in the com- in the communities. But when I look at this, I'm thinking I don't see why the hell this guy had to be shot and why this guy is now dead. I I, I didn't. I mean, and again. Maybe there are factors that the video didn't catch, but his hands were indeed up. The video did catch that his hands were up. And I think what you just laid out is probably the best explanation anybody has heard because nobody on television has laid it out that way. I mean, it's, it's a lot of emotion and bomb throwing on either side. And to me, it comes down to this. You, you shouldn't have to die because you are big, black, and you may seem to be high. Okay. Right. And and I don't know I'm I don't know what has to change in policy to where those kinds of judgments are curtailed. And then you know the thing is, every officer has to wear that now. And that's unfair. Exactly. And, and, and let me tell you let me add one other thing. I think this is gonna come down to negligence. And let me tell you exactly what I mean. There's a thing called muscle reflex. We talk about it, we train on it, we, we, I mean, we push it. And why I say I like to see our training history, I believe in looking at this video over and over, and I, I took it and I, I put it on my iPad where I can go frame by frame. The chaser deployment happened before the shooting, all right? And it was almost simultaneous, but you can hear uh you can actually see the red dot on his back if, if you're looking at it close. You can see the red dot from the taser. And then the taser's deployed. And then you hear her say, shots fired, sub- subject and suspect down. And uh, I think she had her finger on the trigger. And when the pop or the sound of that taser went off, it was a reflex response. And she pulled that trigger. And, you know, I, I, I don't know her state of mind. I don't know what else is going to come out the video. I don't know uh, how it's going to play. I didn't like, I saw her attorney. I didn't like some of the things that he said. Uh, I, if he was my attorney, I'd move to another attorney. I'm just being honest. Uh, what do but you mean? I, I have been careful a, a, about how much of this I've consumed, so I didn't see that. What did he say? Well, it, he, he was he was real. He wasn't clear about. He was trying to give her a statement and what her side of the story was, but he never gave a side of the story. You know, it, it was like he wanted to straddle a, a line, and if he's defending somebody, well, tell me what our story is. Don't straddle the line. And to me, it just didn't play well. It didn't sound right. I wasn't, if he was my attorney, I would not have been comfortable with how he represented. Uh, and maybe he's just not a good interviewer. I don't know. He might be a great attorney. I don't know. Man. But at the end of the day, I think when the chaser went off, her hand, I think it was on the trigger. Every law enforcement agency in this country, for years, I have always been taught from day one, your finger is off that trigger because of muscle reflex responses. You hear something, you startle yourself, and you pull that trigger, now you've taken a life. I mean, I, you, it, it takes discipline to do that. It takes a lot of training to do that. So I'd love to know, again, what what, what, what her training background, how, how well she uses the tools that has been you know, given to her uh, and protected by the Constitution. I put a lot of time into being proficient with my hands. And I was just explaining to Kelly, you know, we were talking about why did one officer pull a taser and one officer pull a gun? Well, she was there first. You know, maybe she was intimidated. I don't know what happened. There's a portion of it because of how the onboard camera works that we can't see. It was at a certain point that we started picking up video. Uh, So that's some interaction. We don't see how he comes into the picture. We don't see those things. So, you know, I'll wait and see what that said. But perception, what did, why did one officer go with a taser and one officer go with deadly force? Less than lethal versus lethal. So for me, 
I think it has to do with proficiency. And I was explaining to Kelly, I was in a deadly force in college at a high school football game where something had a handgun. He had a weapon in his hand, and I moved to it, and I was able to disarm it because I had comfort in my hands, in the position I was in, my approach, the level that I could come from. I felt confident that if I touched that weapon, I was going to take it. I don't think she had that confidence to put that weapon away and even go to a less legal option, let alone go to an option that, that called for just physical strength or technique. I, I don't think she had that confidence. It, it was clear that she was nervous. You know, she you mentioned it earlier. The, the reason she was there is she was on her way uh, to deal with a, a domestic violence call. And there was a call that says that there was a, a vehicle in the middle of the street and people calling 911. So there was already this heightened thing happening, they, you know, at the moment. Then she gets there. Uh, the report is she asked him to comply, to get on his knees, and he refused and started walking back to his vehicle with his hands up. You mentioned training a second ago. You know, we, we don't really get to have those kinds of discussions and, and take, for instance, even here, having a discussion like that in Baton Rouge because immediately people th start throwing bombs, name-calling, uh, political plays go on, power moves go on. So you can never sit around the table like grown folks and have a reasoned intellectual conversation about policy and what we can do to evolve the interaction between the police and the communities. If you had the opportunity to facilitate that discussion, how would you do it? when I was in office, I try to be honest with you and tell them what it is we do and how we do What What are the constitutional protections? And then we take the best available program that's out there and then we outfit it on the Baton Rouge Police Department or your department, should you be somewhere else. Uh, you, you outfit the best program that's out there. We went through several different DG uh, defensive tactics formats in my tenure as a police officer, chief, and now at the retirement, they still went another. So as as as, as sitting down with a table, as, as sitting on a table and talking with a layperson, you want to explain to them what how the use of force works, uh, what kind of format the state of Louisiana. Works here. You have to know that we are a one plus one, meaning the level of force. If you're fussing with me, I can be above just giving you verbal direction. I can move one level ahead. I, I can always be one level ahead. The force continuum is like an evolving sphere around each police officer. There's all kind of tools. You have your presence. You have your your uh, your, your, your commands, and you know your, your control techniques and and you have all the, the tools, you extend them all the time, your sprays, your taser, and last and hopefully least is the use of force, the deadliness, the, the weapon. So there's beanbag rounds, there's uh, shotguns that shoot uh, taser wires out. There's all kinds of options that we can use. And you have to be honest with people as to what your department has and how we deploy it and when we deploy You know, I, I saw a successful deployment of a beanbag shotgun at, at a situation that easily could have turned into a deadly force encounter. The officer was calm, he was cool, and he shot the young man and was able to arrest him. Uh, we, the family thought that he had been shot with a shotgun. We, we explained to him, no, ma'am, he, he's going to be fine. He's just stunned. You know, so honesty, transparency, and then... Tell people what you're willing to, to do. You've got to continually research what's out there and evolve your departments to find the best fit. I, you know, it's, it's so discouraging when I watch the discussion about these kinds of things happen. And I want both of your perspectives on this. Here we have a situation where it appears, underscore, bold, Print appears that this female officer shot this guy because she panicked. 
Now, I'm sure there are more details that are going to come out, but that's the way it looks from what I would consider myself to be a layperson. That's the way it looks from a layperson's perspective. She panicked. And then immediately we start to have it. Go ahead. Let me, let me just interject this because I don't want anybody listening to think I'm, I'm being chauvinistic or I, I have in my mind. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's where you're going. And, 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 hold on. I don't think that's where you're going. In fact, I think the point you're making is about training, not about gender. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. Exactly, yeah, but I, yeah. I have worked with some women who were on a SWAT team who were one of my best supervisors that I ever had in my entire career was a female. And I would follow her anywhere, any day, into any situation. Uh, so it's not about being a female. It's not about whether he's a male or short or old or young or white or black. It's about taking your training and polishing your tools. Right. If I was a bricklayer, right now in our city, we had a lot of devastation. And if a guy came to one of my, one of the houses that was there, and his tools are rusted and, and he has them in a, 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 a old bag and when he starts pulling them out, the handle is falling off, are you going to be comfortable with him tearing out your sheetrock and getting your house back to the way it was prior to the floods? No. no. It's the same thing. We have to polish those tools. We have to work our training. We have to be comfortable with our levels. And it's incumbent upon us as administrators to make sure that we stay on top of our training. We had requirements in our department. Our guys had to go through, you know, X number of hours of training every year, above and beyond uh, what some departments were doing. But we, we made sure that they were back in the gym practicing those techniques that they use with their hands and, and how to be proficient with their weapon and putting them through scenario-based training. And, put, and I think that's one of the big things. I think we have to put more realistic training into law enforcement. And I had this conversation with somebody the other day, and by that I mean you've got to have the word said, you've got to have the diversity put in it, you have to make that situation as real as possible in a training scenario where you can have judges of that scenario or people who are monitoring it and seeing when that, that person reacts wrong um, so they can correct it then and there and run them right back through until they get it right. I think that's one of the things that we're losing in law enforcement is that, you know, we're kind of gentler. When I was a trainer, I used language in front of those kids. I mean, I know they went home and told their spouses and their mothers and fathers, that man is absolutely insane. <laughs> he curses us every day. But I'm going to tell you why I did it. Get away to shock with me here in a safe environment, and I can see how you react. Because if you act wrong here, if you react violently to what I'm telling you, then how are you going to act in the community? Because you're going to hear it all. I've been called everything but a child of God. But... At the end of the day, I was prepared for it because those that trained me got me ready. I think a lot of what goes on in America has to do with training. I think a lot of, of, of the issues that we're having has to do with training and various, various levels of training. Diversity. Put that diversity training into the scenario-based training. Don't just do the class, but then run it through a true class because everybody has biases. Every single person has a bias. I wish I was perfect, but we're not. So I don't like people who steal. I don't like a lot of things that that, that people demonstrate. But I have to learn through scenario-based training, through my training, and through policy my tools every day and being a professional, a criminal justice professional, that this is how I act. Did I do it right every day? Probably not. I'm sure there's some people that, that say, well, I remember when you hollered at me. But, yeah, but at the end of the day, I kept my tools sharp. I kept pushing to be the best professional I possibly could be. You know, it's 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 one of those things. You and I talked about this earlier, and you said that you never had to have the last word. That it 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 never no. became a, an ego jousting competition between you and someone you encountered on the streets, or you and someone that you may have pulled over for speeding or whatever. 
and the reason I didn't have to have the last word, Clay, I gave you that room to, to let the situation breathe. I had the last act, and that's what law enforcement have. If I had the probable cause, I, I, I could make a decision. I made a decision every day whether or not I was going to write you a ticket or give you a break, put you in jail or let you stay with your family, impound your car or let you drive it home. I had the I had the last act. I didn't have to have the last say. And I think you know sometimes we get caught up in the power and, and the authority of being in charge of people. You know we go through college, we, you know we are military or some other form of work, and, and you know we, we're, we're subordinate. And then all of a sudden, I'm out there and I have this charge of being able to do these constitutionally protected things. And at the end of the day. We have to remember that if we let the situation breathe, we're not losing anything. I'm letting you, if I can redirect your anger by letting you talk, that's less anger in that whole situation. And at the end of the day, in every situation I was ever in, I had the last act. Man, that's good. And I think that's important. So we talked about what took place in Tulsa. To me, it looks bad. And I'm, I'm waiting on more details to come out, but I don't know that I'm going to see anything that's going to change my opinion that this was a, a lapse of judgment by the officer that led to a man losing his life. And I just think it, 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 it isn't something we ought to have. I do not believe that you paint every police officer with the, the same brush. And I always tell people, if I said, if I am not a fan of racial profiling, in other words... Uh, people who are bigots and hide behind fancy PhD or college level words to to shield their bigotry. I'm not a fan of blanket uh, stereotypes. And because of that, I don't right. believe you can throw that. You can take the act of one officer that appears to be, in my opinion, criminal and throw that blanket over every other man or woman who wears a badge across this country protecting communities. I don't think it's fair. Now, I haven't said that. Maybe there's something we're going to see that changes this narrative or changes the way this look. I leave I leave space for that, especially in this day and age. But it looks bad. Let's transition, Jeff, to one we don't know as much about in Charlotte. OK, this took place last evening. Not a lot of details that we can say we know to be true from the outsider out there. We know that uh, the officer uh, who shot uh, Mr. Scott was black. Officer Brentley Vinson uh, is his name. And the guy's full name is Lamont Scott, who was shot in Tulsa. Now, right. we, we've uh, excuse me, in Charlotte. We've seen some of the uh, some of the discussion about this, but this is not one that I'm really prepared to offer an opinion on because I really don't have a whole lot of the details. Right. I, I will say this. And, and let me back up to what you just said. Clay, I've worked with some of the most professional police officers that I know, and I've supervised a lot of professional police officers. There's good and bad in everything. As, and I'm telling you, I don't care if it's a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. There's good and bad in everything. Absolutely. But when, when you say we can't blanket them, all of law enforcement, I agree wholeheartedly because I know men and women that will put their life on the line any one of us, yep. they don't know us, they will run to it, they're going to run in, yep. and they're going to get between you and what's trying to hurt you. That's right. I can promise you that I've seen it for 30 years. I've seen it for 30 years. So, and, and, and I agree with you. Let me tell you what I will, my takeaway from uh, from, from uh, Charlotte? the shooting in, in Charlotte yeah. is Chief Putney. I, I thought Chief Putney did a very good job. I thought he was transparent. I thought he moved quickly. I thought he was decisive in his words. Uh, I think he chose well what he was saying. He gave as much information as he possibly could. I think this is going to come down to what was found, the scientific investigation. Is there a weapon whose DNA is on that weapon? Uh, what was in the vehicle? Uh, you know, what was uh, Mr. Scott's? frame of mind, what, what's going on in his life. I think a lot of things, uh, as much detail as going into the, 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 the Chelsea bombing and, and the New Jersey bombings, 
I think that same level of intensity has to go into this because I think there's some unanswered questions. We have two stories, one from the family and one from a chief of police. I agree so, with you. Uh, I agree. You know, uh, the, the chief's name of Charlotte Mecklenburg is Chief Kerr Putney, and he said this. He said, it's time for the voiceless majority to stand up and be heard. Now, as most of you who've seen this on television know, the chief is black. He said, it's time to change the narrative because I can tell you from the facts that the story is a little bit different as to how it's been portrayed so far through social media. And that's a direct quote from him from earlier today as we record this interview. So he's saying that there's an entirely different perspective out there, but the public hasn't seen it yet. And, and he's, by, by North Carolina law, they have a process for releasing video. They have a process for releasing data. Uh, he was very clear in protecting state law as it relates to evidence. And, and that's what a lot of this information is at this point, is, is evidence. And uh, he's not done to uh, put his, his case in peril. But again, I've said this before and I said it again. There's also... Uh, a, a parallel investigation with the DOJ. Let the DOJ do what they're doing. Let Mecklenburg, Charlotte Mecklenburg, do what they're doing. Let Chief Putney do what he's doing. And everyone who's been interviewed today, except for a couple of people who were, you know, emotionally invested in this thing, but from congressmen to other stakeholders in the community, Chief Putney is involved in this community. He's a, a community policing advocate. It's a top-down approach with him. Uh, I, I think that they have to just trust the process. And, and let's see what comes out. I'm going to be very interested in seeing the video uh, and how it plays. But, but, Clay, can anybody debate the amount of frustration? I think that's what's feeding all of this, Kelly. I think you're, you're flat. It's going to be hard to get, to get the rational truth because of all of the frustration. I, I can tell you just today. One of the, the, the biggest conversations I had that was very, very poignant, and it comes down to optics. And, and you know, you can, you can look at details and argue both sides of it. But how can a man set off three bombs in our country? And when you see pictures of him, he's shot in the arm or in the leg, and he's living, and now he's going to the nicest hospital that they can find, and he's being kept alive, and he's being questioned. When you see that, compared to black men dead in the middle of the streets, you can't help but have a gurgle in your stomach. Now, I'm not, I, we can go case by case, and we can say right or wrong and reasonable use of force or not, but I think any sane person in their right mind living in America can say that something's got to change. Something has got to change. Clay, I'm sitting next to your little boy. You have to be frightened at the thought of, the thought of him taking your truck and driving somewhere without you. That's got to be sickening because I think about my kids. Something's got to change. Who is it? What is it? Is it training? I don't know. But not complying with police instructions cannot be a death penalty. Uh, it cannot I, be a death penalty. I agree with you, but I think the way that we discuss this in media has been irresponsible and it's getting better. And here's what I mean. The public has a right to be emotional. The public has a right to say whatever they want to say on Facebook or Twitter. I mean, the public has a right to rant. I mean, that's that's a constitutionally protected right. You don't always have to agree with it, but it's it's legal. But when you're reporting on news and you report innuendo, see, that's one of the things I didn't like about what happened here in Baton Rouge is reporting on innuendo. I'm thinking, hell, I run a freaking podcast website and I can get access to Sandra Sterling and Chief Jeff LaDuff and, and, and you know, former Chief Inglade and all these people, people in the media who draw a paycheck doing this every day ought to be able to do that. And the reason they ought to do it is because of the perspective it gives to people on the outside who don't know what the hell to think. I'm not in Tulsa. I'm not in Charlotte. All I can go by is what you tell me and what I see on social media. And I just think that we don't have to be afraid of police officers. The, the, the vast majority of men and women who wear badges are earning a living, and I've got members of my family who do it. The problem is when a bad instance happens, you can't shield that and pretend it didn't happen. 
because what that does is exactly. feed the fodder of those who want to say all cops are bad. Now, again, I'm not saying this lady is bad. This could just be a singular act in her career as a law enforcement officer. But from my eyes, it's troublesome. Now, the other one, I go back to my media chops. I don't know enough about what took place in Charlotte to give an opinion. And I'm going to stick with that. But I think we just need to have a little bit more responsibility from the folks who have the responsibility. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. And, and again, you know, I come from a, a law enforcement family. I know a lot of cops. All cops are not bad. And we can't blanket everything because I don't like generalizations about black people. Right. We, we all are not bad. We all, same with, with white folks that live in certain parts of Louisiana. I don't like any generalizations. But at the end of the day, I think that we all can come together and say that it's time to start fixing this. It, every morning is something new. Look at the world we're raising our children in. And for me, that's the most gut-wrenching part, Clay. When does this change? And I think, when does it get better? How do we get there? I think you're, you're spot on there. And it, it, the same goes on the other side of the coin about the inner city. Not every person in the inner city is, is a criminal. Not every person who lives in the quote unquote hood is trapped. Some people want to live there. And again, it's just kind of the way we language this stuff. Not every person who lives in an upper, upper middle class or affluent neighborhood stole their money from everybody else to get there. It's like, man, some of the stuff we say about one another in this country is why we always want to fight. <laughs> you know, and I just think yeah. that that it, it it takes what you guys are saying. I love what Jeff said earlier. I he said I didn't have to have the last word and just explain that. I said, man, that's profound when you said it to me earlier because it says I don't need to prove to you I have the authority. I know I have it, and that's good enough for me. And I just think, but man, you know if, if you so can ironic. if you can if you can it, inject it, some politicians with that, we'd be a lot better off. Well, and I was about to tell you, Clay, every every department that we train, and we train a lot of police departments, he says that. And you can tell that from your 30-year veterans to, to, to guys and girls with one year on the job, that impacts them. That makes them look at their job differently. And that's why training is so important to these chief administrators at these police departments. Own up. If you need training, go get it. If, if, if the department needs it, go do it. Who care what it looks what it looks like? Okay, yeah, you're doing some things on the heels of some major issues. Who cares? Put your pride aside and give your departments what they need, so that you can give the communities you serve what they need. We've got to do it. Jeff, I'll ask this. You know, we'll we'll start to wrap it up here, and I'll ask this final question. You know, we we've we've made it clear that. I think all three of us don't believe in blanket indictments on either side. Don't don't throw all law enforcement in the same category. Don't do the same thing with people in poor or minority communities. You know, take it as a, on a case by case basis. But if we want to begin the healing, and I really think that's kind of where we, we need to be. How do we do that? Because every time I, see, I think I, I have maybe a, a place close to a, a way to start. Something happens and you kind of go, oh, well, we got to take a few steps back and start all over again. Where do we start? Well, we start by, by this, by communicating, by finding out more. It's, there's never been a time in American history that we need to understand differences more than we understand differences today. We have to have a better understanding of why it is when the two of us get together, it looks like there's going to be a fight that takes place, all right? And it's just you and I glad to see each other, and, and, and we're animated, <laughs> and we, we're laughing, and we're joking. Understand the differences, and then we can celebrate the similarities. I think this country is at a, a point where we need to just – Take the time, talk to somebody different. I've said it before, the unbroken chain. Well, Take the time to talk to somebody different. Perfect. And find out what makes them click. Perfect segue to the unbroken chain. I mean, it was almost like we planned it that way, but we didn't. So let's talk about this, this movement that we broke on local media here a couple of weeks ago. I think right now is the time more than ever for people on both sides of this to be talking to one another and standing standing together and not allowing what happened here to come back. 
Right, 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 man. I, you know, for me, it's worked for me for 60 years. Uh, I've been black and poor and middle class and black and young and black. I've been black for a long time and, and various degrees of that. And I'm telling you, I know that I've been able to integrate myself into different scenarios, be it with some of the wealthiest people I've ever met in my life, some of the poorest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, I've been able to, as a police officer, talk to criminally minded people and get resolved. We might look the same. We might have the same race. But our mentality about how to get where we wanted to go were different, you know. So we, it's, it, this is what we need right now. We have to have a wholesale conversation about our differences. It's just time. And that's what the unbroken chain is all about. It's about finding a way to get out of your comfort zone and see that just because that person is wearing a suit and walking on Wall Street and I'm coming from uh, HBCU and my dreadlocks are almost touching the ground, I guarantee you, if you start talking about what makes you click, you're going to find out that deep in that person, there's something to make me click. And I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I met a guy who was a stone-cold drug dealer. I mean, a big mover in the drug world. And we had a conversation uh, after he was incarcerated. And he tells me that when we started talking, we found out that I worked as hard for my wife and my son out of love and out of wanting to be respected by them and not wanting them to look down on me. So I went to work every day. I found something to do every day. And he told me his drive to be successful. Without me telling him what mine was, he told me that was his story. He said, man, I didn't want my, my, my family to look down on me. He said, should I have made better choices? Maybe I should have gone to school and I could have been something successful. And I agree with it. If he put the energy into educating himself that he did into being a drug kingpin, he would have been the most successful man in America. You know, he would have owned the Mormon, you know? So, I, but our common thread was we did it because of what we felt and what we wanted from our families. So if, if I can link with that guy being a career law enforcement officer and him being a career drug dealer, then the two people that, that's working at Albertsons today, one in the meat department, and one at the cashier that happens to look different, I know they can get together. Man, so well said. And and this comes back down to where we are more alike than we give ourselves credit for being. Did we leave anything out, gentlemen, before we, we put a pen in this one? Anything left unsaid? You think, Jeff, Kelly, anything we 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 probably should expand no, man, on I, that we didn't? I think that's it. Yeah, you know, I think that's it. Hey, man, just let the process be the process. Work on what you can. Do it peacefully. Don't care about communities. You know, don't hurt each other. We don't need anybody else dead. Just like every life matters, every death does. Yeah. And I know we're all looking for leaders through all of this. I just encourage everyone, you know, be mindful of people that are so free to throw out that our city should burn. Oh, I take man. that personally. You know, Baton Rouge is a wonderful place. You know, um, it, it doesn't need to burn. Uh, and I'll just say that. Be mindful of people urging that kind of thought. And, and I say that loudly, and I say it every day, all day. Do we have issues? Yes. Are we waiting on a verdict? Yes. But we've I, I've sat down with Sandra Sterling, and she doesn't want this city to burn. Not at all. So the people that love something the most don't want this city to burn, how dare anybody say that? Because if this starts to burn, I guarantee you the people saying to do so won't be the ones out there in the middle of it trying to stop it. So we just need to be smart about how we voice our opinions, love each other, talk to each other. That's what Unbroken Chain's about. We're not telling anybody how to feel. Keep your side on the, on the issue as much as you want to. We're just saying talk to each other. Talk to each other and try to get some understanding between us. That's all we want. I think that's a good place to let him have the last word. What do you say, Jeff? That was pretty good. 
got it. I'm a chef. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. All right, brother. Thanks, Clay. Bye-bye. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. There you have it. A conversation with the owners of Open Eyes, Jeff and Kelly LaDuff. I enjoyed the conversation. We actually chatted after the interview about a show coming up in the near future that I think you're going to find fascinating. And I'm not going to give anything away. Not going to give anything away. Let me just tell you, it's one you want to hear. How about that for a tease? All right, and next week, we have a special guest on the show all the way from Kentucky. And I'll tell you about that next week here on The Clay Young Show. Listen, when you subscribe to the show on iTunes, hey, leave a comment there. Tell us what you think about the show. You can leave a star rating there. It always helps us out, lets people know uh, what you think about us, and you know we're talked about and I, t- I told you we're accessed in other countries as well so any commentary you guys can give us will be helpful if there's something you think we can do better hey tell me man I got thick skin I can take it and if there's something you like a lot you want us to do more of we'll do that too just uh, you can leave a comment there at iTunes and of course if you have a non-Apple device you can get right to the site just search podcast 225 all right all right until next week Thank you guys for listening. As always, we really appreciate you. And I don't think I gave the email address, clay at podcast225.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR or on Facebook or on the Podcast 225 Facebook page as well. Thank you so much for listening. We Listen, we mentioned the debut of The Waiting Room. It got pushed back another couple of weeks and we'll explain on next week's show. Until then, have a great one, and thanks for listening to Podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.